sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. And this is Playing Playing With Science. Science. You're listening to Playing With Science, a new spinoff of Star Talk. And I'm your interloper host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your resident <laughs> astrophysicist. But we've got Gary O'Reilly and Chuck Nice. You're the main dudes here. And who do we have with us? Ron Darling yes. of the New York Mets. The one and only. <laughs> the one and only. And so what I always want to know, you as a professional baseball player, were you ever thinking about the science of the pitch at all? Or was it just kind of you're feeling it and you're just going with the flow? No, I think you think about the science all the time. I mean, it depends on, I guess, who you are and what you like out of the game. I mean, you're trying to, uh, at some point, spin a baseball. Um, the more revolutions it has, uh-huh. the better pitch it's going to be. So mm-hmm. you try to maximize that. Better as in more confusing to the batter. More confusing mm-hmm. to the batter, <laughs> more break. Um, you're, not, you're not only fool with that. But break you, is, just in case we have yeah, new yeah. listeners, break would be there's the trajectory you think the ball has coming in and where it actually lands as it crosses the plate. Yes. And That's the break. Yeah, the break. And, and also you can change the break by your grip. So if you want it 12 to 6, you're more on top of the baseball, getting the seams to turn over 12 to 6. And if you've only used digital clocks before, yeah, yeah, no one yeah. will have any idea that's what that right, sentence that's meant. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's right, that's right. <laughs> so go on, so 12 to 6 would be top to bottom. Top to yeah. bottom, mm-hmm. um, but if you change your position on the ball, you can have it more where it goes from, I can't say the clock now, but uh, from 2 to 8. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can change how the, how the pitch breaks. Um, one thing I tried really hard to do, and I never could do it, um, is the thing that we called carry. When you throw a fastball, four seams, just by gravity alone, the ball at some point is going to fade. It's going to start to work its way away from the intended target. You worked on carry so that the ball would finish. If you finished your pitches, the ball, instead of fading, which the hitter is going to see and say, boy, that ball's going to fade out of the strike zone. It had carry. So it would stay on that line, and the hitter would be fooled, take the pitch for a strike, and it would be a strikeout. And they'd look at you like, how'd you do that? What the hell did you do? For, do wait, so is this, is this what they call a rising fastball? That's what they call because, a rising fastball. Because they don't actually rise. They just simply don't fall they as don't much fall. as they could. So your perception, since you – we all have a native because we grew up in earth gravity. Exactly. We have a sense of the rate at which things fall. Mm-hmm. Even if we're not calculating that, That's you just right, yeah. have a sense of it. 9.8 so, uh, centimeters per second squared. Somebody has some physics one-on-one. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it'd be 980 centimeters per second. 9.8 meters per second squared. Okay, thank Stupid. you. Stupid. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the resident astrophysicist? I know, right. But you know what? That ain't a bad thing when Neil deGrasse Tyson calls you stupid. (laughs) I'm like, thank you. (laughs) Stay in your lane, buddy. 
We handed him a ball earlier, and it has not left his hand I know, since. I know. I would have just put it down and went on with my life. Mm -hmm. But it's you can't put down a baseball. You, you know what it is? I'm just uh, manipulating it and feeling it and thinking to myself: the ball is different than when I played. The seams are not as much uh, as high as when I played. They always say this: it's not but, like it used to be. No, no, the no. Game, we played in the snow uphill. Yeah. No, I'm saying it probably had an advantage when I played. The ball's a uh, uh, slicker. It looks a little slicker. And, it does. And, and in the day, you used to be able to pick at the seams and make them rise and if you picked at them enough while you're waiting for the sign from your catcher you can make it rise so you got a little more grip Get on the ball grip. Can't oh. do and, that and does that also give you a little more action Gives you a little more action. It's probably not 100% legal, but uh, that's kind of, <laughs> kind of what you do. 92.5% legal. <laughs> so action, well, but it would give you action that you then wouldn't necessarily be able to predict, but that's okay because then neither can the batter. But you know what count it is. So if it's a 3-2 pitch where you need to throw a strike, you wouldn't pick at the seams to get more action. But if it was an 0-2 pitch where you needed the guy to swing at a ball in the dirt, you want as much action as you can get. You guys are so evil, wow, you look pitchers. Look at that, man. <laughs> When you talk about technology, let me ask you this. With respect to equipment, so in football, wide receivers are allowed to wear gloves that are specially designed to help them catch the ball. Basically sticky gloves. Sticky yeah. gloves. Yeah. Yeah. Quarterbacks are able to wear gloves that are specially designed to help them throw the ball. Would you be accepting of that kind of technology coming into mm. baseball? Well, I, I think there are pitchers out there that use – um, the combination of the rosin bag. That's what with, that is. With, right. With, right. Well, I've yeah. heard um, a sun tanning solution uh, that they use. Uh, I, I used to use because um, I figured I got to a point where you I knew where the ball was going. Confess and to confess us here. It. Yes. Well, no one's I listening. Do, I, I wore long sleeves and I would wet the sleeves so that I always had the moisture from the sleeves. Now, um, I, I didn't want the moisture from my forehead or from the back of my neck because it wasn't always the same. But if I wet my sleeve, I was always getting about the same kind of moisture. Is that why pictures right always touching touch their body? Yeah. 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 I never figured they're that out. They're trying to get They're trying to get that. That's funny, because you see them lift up their cap, yeah. and you know. Oh, they're, they're trying to get you something on their finger. Yeah, yeah. They actually, and they're taking the moisture off their brow. That's wow, So what they're doing, wild. of course, so now, maybe, I don't know if they thought this through, if you get brow moisture put it on the ball rather than pre-wet sleeves, yeah. then that moisture evaporates and you're left with a salt residue. And that could have an effect on the pitch. I'm that's just right. saying. Wow, that's right. is that that's the case? Yeah. Really? That's yeah. what you already yeah. knew this. No, I, I, I didn't. I did, I did not know that. Okay. But you know, there was a pitcher in the day. Uh, some of our older guests might remember Gaylord Perry, Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. He was known for cheating all the time, <laughs> and he threw. He, threw he wasn't a Yankee, was he? He threw. <laughs> <laughs> He, he threw, he was at some point, right? Yeah. At, at, uh, he used to throw a spitball, and the way the spitball ball was done, it's hard to show the people who were listening, but most pitches are thrown with the seams or across, across the, the seams. seams. If you wet your hands enough, a spitball was thrown with no seams, and instead of throwing it with this kind of action. With, you, with a 12 to 6 action. Yeah, you pinched it. And when it pinched, it came out with no spin. And okay. hitters, there's, when hitters see a bit, what they do when they stand in the box, their first thought is, is this ball going to hit me in the head? That's their first thought. The it's a good thought. It's a second good thought. thought is, it's not going to. Third thought is, does it have any spin? And the fourth thought is, where is it? Because I'm going to put the ball where I think the ball is going to be. Not where I know, but where I think the ball and is going to be. And for most of us, be. by the time we have that fourth thought, the ball is already in the <laughs> catcher, right. the catcher's yeah, mitt. Right. <laughs> or, or it has hit you in the head. <laughs> and you are dreaming the rest of that conversation. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs>
So a couple more points here. If you allow me to reflect on this, one of my favorite films, just because it was a head trip, just to watch and to experience, was For the Love of the Game. And it was like the 10th baseball movie by, by um, Kevin Costner. How many baseball movies can the guy make? Uh, so if you're unfamiliar with the film, and I'll leave out many of the details, he's an aging pitcher, and the entire movie is inside his head during a game that he's pitching. And he's pitching this game very well. And what I did not appreciate what you guys do on the mound until I saw that film. Mm. Because you're in his head and he's, and he's saying, oh, hey, Joey. No, in his head. Hey, Joey, it's been a while since we both came up at the same time. I remember you never, you, you know, you never swung at the first pitch. You just never did. Okay, so bam, threw a, str a strike right down the middle, a meatball right down the middle, and he looks at it for a strike. So, every, so I'm thinking, you're just trying to throw it, but no, the mind wow. game, I, fi I finally appreciated mm. deeply what this chess match really is. You, you know what's interesting is that people ask me all the time, um, do you remember pitches you threw in a game? And, um, and I try to explain it, if you have children, you remember everything about your child, right? Because you're, it's so dear to you. I can remember every pitch. Um, I've ever thrown in a game. If you tell me uh, Wrigley Field in 1984, you faced the Cubs, you gave up three home runs, um, you were knocked out in five and a third, a guy threw beer on you as you were coming off the field. What did you throw to say in the third at bat? Boom, I can tell you. Exactly every pitch. Wow. Where the Ladies and gentlemen, went, that's incredible, miss. by the way. But absolutely. Tell us about all 116 of your losses. <laughs> 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 to try and get to, to understand this. No run support. <laughs> atmospheric. <laughs> 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 Just trying to, you know, keep you honest up there. So let's move forward into, you're a sports commentator now. Yes. And could you react to the role of the application of science to sports today, to training, to the analysis, the statistics? Baseball has always had statistics, but now it's reached some other like dimension That's of statistics. Right. That's right. Uh, what's your reaction to it? Does that add to the game or take away from the game from the old days? I, I think it definitely adds to the game. I think the analytics or sabermetrics of the game, the math of the game, um, just adds to uh, your knowledge of the game. That being said, um, numbers can be used in so many different ways. And um, how you use them uh, let's say we all get the same numbers about whatever we're doing. We're all going to apply. Data. We're same data. We're all going to apply it uh, in a different way. And I think the ones that can apply it, that have the combination of the data, also factoring the human factor, mm. the ones that do it the best with both are the ones that are the better teams. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your 
business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. And this is Playing Playing With with Science. Science. Today, we take a look at the science behind the moonshot, the kind that's powered by the bat rather than a Saturn V. Yes. Guess what, listeners? Today, it's all about the home run. The physics of the bat, the ball, the brain. And letting fly with the science will be physics professor Alan Nathan from the University of Illinois. But first, you know, if you've ever wondered what it's like. You have? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what, but you you haven't wondered, like, too much because you're a professional athlete. So. Oh, yeah, but there's certain things you want to do in your life. That's so true. And one of them is probably the hardest thing they say it is to do in all of sports, which is hit a ro- home hit a Rome run. Yes. Yeah. Actually, take you a You hit bat. it that far, it goes yes. to Italy. Go to Rome. Find a guy who is jogging, whack him with a bat. That's called a Rome <laughs> run. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, we're talking about a home run, but then take that yeah. and then put it in the setting of a World Series and then put it in the setting of, I don't know, the last inning, maybe the 14th inning. What do you get? Well, we're going to find out today. Oh, yeah, because with us in the studio is none other than the Chicago White Sox legend, the man with his own bronze statue. Yes, Jeff Jeff Blum. Blum. Yay. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Oh, good to be here. Thank you for having me. Did we embarrass you? Not enough, yeah. There's plenty more. Yeah. All right, yeah, okay, we're going to lay it on. (laughs) Yeah, man. Oh, that's just something else. Okay, so here we go. When you go up on deck, do you know this one is leaving the park or is it just in the hands of the gods? Or do do you have a sense, like, I feel like, like, I feel it. It, it. I feel really good. You know what? It's kind of funny that you talk about that because they had me mic'd up in batting practice before the game. Really? And I know that we're in a National League ballpark where the, the pitcher's going to hit. And I know there's potential double switch, pinch hit, all kinds of issues that will right. create that get me in the game. And they had me mic'd up, and I'm taking batting practice, and I'm yelling at the batting practice pitcher. I'm like, would you please give me better pitches so I can try and hit them out of the ballpark? You know, I'm trying for home runs, and right. who would have thought, you know, five and a half, six hours later, I'd have the opportunity and follow through. 
Yeah. Yeah. Bad, I'm bad. not saying I called it, but I'm saying I had a pretty good, pretty good feeling. Good about feeling. It. <laughs> yeah. So you know what? Before we go any further, okay. because we're taking it for granted that those listening and uh, those watching us on Star Talk All Access know that we're talking about the fact that yeah. Jeff is a former Major League Baseball infielder. He is currently the announcer for the Houston Astros and an analyst for MLB at the plate on TuneIn Radio. But specifically what we're referring to is that as a World Series champion uh, for the Chicago White Sox in 2005, Jeff, in the 14th inning yep. of the longest game in fall classic history, came to the plate and knocked a ball out of the park to win the game. So why don't we take a look at that? Longest game in the World Series history. Blum hits it into right down the line. It is gone. Jeff Blum, the former Astro, goes deep. And oh, man. Inning, the White Sox take yeah, might a I add, that doesn't get old. Lead. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and I love the look on the pitcher's face when he's like, this <laughs> I don't know if they'll have a clip of it, but the best part was the manager, season. Phil Garner, for the Houston Astros, yep. literally picked up his bar stool he was sitting on and, and fired it into the tunnel. So there was a lot of anger and aggression. How and slow was, can you great. run the bases once you've dinged? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Homer. <laughs> What's crazy is I was on the Astros team two years prior. Yes, yes. I mean, a year and a half prior. So oh, I yeah. knew a lot of guys on that team. So there was a little bit of, oh, hell yeah. Right. And then at the same time going, oh, man, my boys are in the other dugout. Right. So it's kind of ironic that it, I had to Did hit it Did you already them. have the read on the pitcher? Did you know what he was going to die? I had a pretty good next. idea. Well, you know what? In, in knowing that I played for that team, I yep. knew they had the scouting report on me. So I knew what, what they were going to avoid. Right. And that place where he threw the baseball mm -hmm. is the last place you want to pitch me. Because the one place where I don't have to think and I can just react is that down and in. Down and in you think he read that report? Yeah. And I think that's why everybody in the dugout snapped when I hit that home run because they knew exactly where it was going as soon as I put the ball right. on it. Whoops. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> it yeah. was bad. It was bad a pitch. whoops. Yeah. And joining us now by video call to help us wrap our heads around the physics is Professor Alan Nathan. Alan, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm very fine. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Yes, All we're right. glad to have you. Of course, Alan is Professor Emeritus of Physics at the University of Illinois, and uh, he spent a decade studying yeah. the physics of baseball. Check him out at baseball.physics.illinois.edu. So let's just get into the anatomy of a home run. Okay, sure. So the ball is coming in. If, if it's released, let's say, for the sake of argument, it's a really good fastball released at maybe 95 miles an hour, 94, something like that. Um, by the time it gets to home plate, it's going a, a bit slower. It's probably going more like 85 miles an hour because uh, air drag slows it down. And it's falling. It's descending at maybe, for a fastball, it probably is coming into home plate at maybe a six or seven degree angle. It's descending. Okay. So the batter's job is to get the bat in the right place at the right time, uh, at the right location on, on, the, on the bat itself with a high bat speed. Bat speed is basically... Uh, the thing that matters most in, in terms of how hard that ball will be hit. And, of course, how hard that ball will be hit 
along with the launch angle is what determines how far that ball will go and therefore whether it's a home run or not. So the batter's job is a pretty difficult one, at least for me, it would be difficult. For major league players is maybe not as difficult because you don't have a lot of time to react. It might take something like four tenths of a second from release until the ball gets to home plate. And not all that time is uh, available to the batter in terms of observing the pitch. I mean, you have to decide by roughly halfway through that, you know, roughly two-tenths of a second, you have to make a decision. Am I going to swing or am I not going to swing? And if I am going to swing, how am I going to swing? Is the pitch going to be, you know, on the low side, uh, high side, inside, outside? Uh, the, the, The swing itself takes something like, 0.15 0.15 seconds. I mean, typically, I mean, sort of on average for a major hitter. So, you know, you take, you, you subtract that 0.15 from the 0.4 that you have altogether. You, you don't, you know, you got 0.35. So you, there's plenty of time, basically. You got yeah, yeah, plenty yeah. of time to make up your mind about yeah, how you're going to go about this problem? thing, you, right? You could probably have a cup of coffee, you know, and yeah. uh, you know, yeah. friends a little bit. And, uh, and then, oh yeah, and here comes the ball. So, you know, you, you, you really have to process that information very, very quickly. And I, basically, I think that's what batters are doing. They're, they're uh, you, you know, they see the pitch. They see uh, the pitch at release. Uh, they observe it. They essentially transmit that information to their brain, and they have some memory lookup table. They're, they're comparing it to pitches, similar pitches that they've seen before and using that to make their decision about what that pitch is going to do and therefore what, what, whether they should swing it up. Well, you know what? Let's uh, hold on for one second because this is fascinating. And we have a Major League Baseball uh, home run World Series hitter legend. in the room. Legend. Uh, legend. Mr. A man who has a bronze statue of himself. We like, they like the idea <laughs> they like, of that. They liked him very much yeah. in Chicago. But, uh, Jeff, can you... You speak to the things that uh, Professor just told us. No, I think it, what he's talking about, and I actually appreciate it. I should have put him on my PR team because to try and explain how hard it actually is. But uh, you know, I have a whole new appreciation now watching what these guys do. Mm. But a lot of what Alan is talking about now is actually provided by Major League Baseball for us to actually look at, and they can instantaneously look at. Uh, they don't necessarily look at bat speed, but they can give you the uh, exit velocity, mm-hmm. launch angle, and they can calculate hit probability, yep. number one, and then they can go ahead and estimate the distance because of adding those two things together. So it's, you, a, it's a lot of fun for me to look the, at. the launch angle depending on which park you're playing in? That's what's crazy. Is you could probably put Allen in a batting cage right now and yep. tell these guys you want to try and hit a launch angle, and again, the pitch is coming downhill, so you've got to change your bat angle almost into an uppercut to make contact with this, but these guys are talking about how to create a launch angle that will deliver a long fly ball that Alan is talking about. It's incredible. Wow, that's in, that's insane. But does the theory translate into the bat in your hands? Does so it really I, work? I don't know because I grew up in an age of swing down swing, on the ball to down. get the ball in the air. Right. You know, and they're not. They're kind of shifting away from that because of the launch angles that Alan's talking about. Alan, we talk about. The bats, the batter hitting with the sweet spot, and we've spoken to a couple of batters in Major League, and they tell me when you connect and you hit it on the sweet spot, you don't feel any vibration. It's almost an invisible hit. Yeah. So what is the sweet spot? Okay, so the bat is is not a rigid body. It can it can vibrate, and you know when when the ball, the sweet spot is the location. I mean, the simple way to say it is, it's the location along the length of the bat where when you the ball hits there, 
there's essentially no vibration. You mm. don't feel it in your hands. And you know it really, if you hit, you know, on the tip of the bat or you hit way on the inside part of the bat, you know that that can sting. I mean, it, right. it hurts sometimes. And nowadays with high-speed <laughs> Jeff, by the uh, way, Jeff Jeff is in studio yeah, shaking his head like yeah, we, we, nodding mode. Shaking his head and shaking his hand like you have yeah, no uh, idea. Uh, we call it a handful of bees. A handful yeah, of bees. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Yeah, probably, yeah. It probably doesn't feel very well. And nowadays uh, in major league games, you oftentimes you have high-speed video. And you, it's it's dramatic the kind of vibrations that you actually see in the bat mm. when the ball is not hitting on the sweet spot of the bat. So the sweet spot is there are many definitions of the sweet spot, but they all amount to about the same thing. It's the place where the vibrations are the are the, the least, so it feels best. It also is the location. You, whenever the bat vibrates, that represents energy that the ball transferred to the bat. And therefore, less energy for the ball to have uh, on its way out. So it's also the best place in terms of exit speed. To get the highest exit speed, you want the sweet spot. So those two points on the bat or regions of the bat pretty much, pretty much coincide. That's, that's why it's the sweet spot. But now you have the science as to why. We are going to take another commercial break. Stick around. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back. Yes. Thank you, yes. We are here at South by Southwest, and we are privileged to be here with some really rather special guests. Holden Kushner from iTunes and JP Arancibia, former Major League Baseball player and the one and only Charles Liu. Right, talked about pitching, Charles. Um, I think JP's got a, a little bit of an interest in batting. Uh-huh. 80 home runs, by the way. This man here. Total envy. Yeah. Total 80 home envy. 80. But, but holds the record. Still, still holds the record for what? 23 home runs for the Toronto Blue Jays as a catcher? Yeah. That still stands, right? Still stands. Okay. 23 in Not one bad. season. Incredible. And as Charles alluded to before the break, on his major league debut, first ball home run. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what do you think when, that's, when that happens? Like, okay, so it's your major league debut. It's your first at bat. You get up there and you pop a home run. It, do you just say to yourself, like, damn, it is all downhill from here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, t- I remember I was, I was not really nervous. I was just ready for the opportunity. Yeah, because it's been a long road to get to yeah. a major league game. Yeah, I mean, the minor leagues and, and all these different stops that we have in, in baseball that, yeah. fortunately, unfortunately, people only see the major leagues. A lot the of New great. Hampshire Fisher Cats springs to mind. Yeah, let's talk about, well, let's not talk about, but Las Vegas was where I was at the longest, and that's where I almost died a few times, but it was, it was worth it. It worth was pretty it. fun. It's a long journey. Totally but worth what it. What about yeah. that? <laughs> Anyone have that dream? First ball, home run, major league? Because if, if I was a baseball player... Hand up. I would have had that dream. That's the reality. It's incredible. <laughs> now, you talked to us during the break about density of wood. Yeah. And All right. Pitch that question. No pun intended. It was really. To Charles, go for it. All right. Well, when I went through my struggles, I started struggling a little bit, and I actually thought that I would use a lighter, smaller bat that it would help me. 
and a hitting coach told me you're a power hitter. Mm-hmm. The bigger, harder, heavier, more dense wood would be more uh, mm. useful for you. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I, knew, I knew that was coming. I knew, that, I knew that was coming. You can't say all those words together and not expect me to do something with it. <laughs> and so, honestly, I started using it, but mentally I couldn't adjust and say, man, if I use a heavier bat, I always thought it was going to slow down my hands. It was right. going to do this. And so I wasn't So able you're thinking, let me, let me get around on the swing quicker, and a lighter bat will help me do that. I'll get around on the swing quicker. I can meet the ball faster, but then your pitching coach is saying no. Hitting, hitting coach. Hitting coach, sorry, is saying you see how much I know about this sport. Uh, he's saying you need a heavier bat because you're a power hitter. Yeah. So what happens is he said lighter bat. Since it's lighter, your body you try more. When it's a heavier bat, you try to do less. But also when a heavier and this is my question is when a heavier billet of wood. So when they start making a wood bat, there's yeah. it's yeah. it's a piece of lumber yeah, and they move right. it down so it's there's heavier billets there's denser wood there's harder wood right so if you use a heavier bat when it hits the ball the ball's going to go further and so i got convinced when i started struggling started using this bat first game i used the bat i went home, i hit two home runs and i was like all right this is pretty cool and then when i would hit balls on not the sweet spot part of the bat they were yep. still leaving the park and i was like complete sold and nowadays and you in in older times guys used to use much heavier bats and it was a big difference now everyone wants to use a lighter bat and i still try to convince guys like dude you still you should go with the heavier bat the bigger heavier the bigger heavier bat. bigger heavier bat yeah. everybody knows once hey, you bud. go bigger heavier okay hey, Charles. so that's our question <laughs> Okay, the thing is, of course, the major leagues have rules, right? Just like you, uh, the NFL requires you to inflate your balls to a certain uh, p- pressure, whether or not you want to. Okay. Uh, the same is true with baseball bats. You can only have a certain uh, length, certain width, certain amount of pine tar, certain density, things like that, okay? okay. Uh, and uh, you may remember there was a controversy some years ago about people putting cork in your bats right. you open it up you put some spongy stuff inside and you cap it off and you make the ball bounce a little bit off off of your um, bat a little bit more so here's the physics right jp uh your your batting coach was correct in that if you have a heavier bat you swing it around and you are creating more momentum in your bat so that when you transfer that momentum to the ball when you hit it it will go farther The problem, of course, is that it requires more torque. You have to generate that extra turning of your wrists and your arms, elbows eventually in order to move that bat head fast enough to transfer that momentum, right? The main issue is the matter of contact. If you can contact a ball pulling while swinging a thicker, heavier bat, your heavier bat is going to work for you. If you can't get the bat around, though, if you don't have the arm strength, if you don't have the wrist strength, then the heaviest bat in the world isn't going to help you because that fastball is going to blow on right by. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does because that's what his coach was saying. You're a power hitter, therefore you need the heavier bat. It makes sense. Yeah, and, and, and to his point, there's guys, I mean, there's different gifts. Guys, have to, I was always able to hit a ball far. And so that was my gift. There was guys that can't hit a ball far. Some guys can throw hard. Some guys can't. It's just genetically whatever they have. But that was one thing I was – and so 
when I was able to start using those heavier bats, it, it really made a huge, huge difference. Okay, right. Charles, I think JP has another question. Yeah, so another thing... You your mind. Your little squirrels getting really oh, busy. No, I, I, just, yeah. I, I love it. I love talking this. Cause, so then some of the furthest home <laughs> runs, some of the furthest home runs I ever hit, I realized yeah. in the barrel, the seams were indented into the bat. And so yeah. it was a, there's a miss. I don't know. They always used to say you caught a seam. If you hit a ball a certain a super, super long distance, it was a difference between hitting it in the, I don't know, what would you call that? White the, part of the, the ball. White, white part of the baseball mm-hmm. or the space. Or, or the, the seam. Or right on the seam. Because if I, because again, you know. So wait maple, a minute. Are you saying that you have actually looked at a bat after you've hit a home run? And the seam of the ball yeah. is indented. In de- yeah, so in, so in Maple, I mean, Ash, you can see it a little bit, but in Maple, if you hit a ball square, because guys always want to clean their bats too. Another thing is, is guys always clean their bats because you want to see where you're hitting the ball on the bat because there's a sweet spot. So you want to be able mm. – it's, it's all the, the things that go into it. But when, when you hit, since it's a clean bat, when you hit a ball good, right. I know exactly where I hit it because you can see, if, especially the longer home runs, you see the seams, the indention of the seams mm-hmm. on the bat. So I, I just want to know if, wow. that was, if that makes sense, if that's And science. does that make a difference, Charles, the hitting the seam or hitting the white space? Does that make a difference and why? Let me tell you two ways that it could make a difference. Okay. One way is that the white part of the ball is slipperier than the seams. So if you catch the seams, you may be able to hit the ball with a more clean shot without slippage. So that, like, you know, in a foul tip, what happens is you, you catch a piece of the ball and it spins away. But oh. if you hit it on the seams, you might be able to get a little more friction so that even if it's not exactly square, you might be able so to it's the same get it without why the pitcher, It's the same reason why the pitcher grips the seams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, the bat is gripping the seams the same way the pitcher throws the ball. Excellent point. Which, oh, which, dude, that's awesome. Yes. more spin. Dude, that's Charles, right. I, I have the, a thought the, for you. Um, if we, sure. If we sort of cut across all Major League Baseball rules, what would be the perfect material to make? To cork a bat. A bat. So as a power hitter the, like JP could do his thing and not worry about it. Tell us from an astrophysics if, standpoint, yes, how please. can we cheat I, best at this if, game? If, we, if I want the perfect bat, I would actually use an aluminum bat. Really? Uh, JP, you probably remember from college, right? That that ball would just fly off that aluminum bat. Yeah, it was scary. So, uh, so and, why and is that? We were, okay, aluminum is very light for its yeah. It's still heavier than wood, right? Uh, denser than wood, I should say. Yeah. Uh, but um, you can make it kind of hollow. The typical aluminum bat isn't filled all the way through with aluminum, so you've got some space in the middle. So you've got this sort of um, ability to to ricochet, bounce back and forth a little bit, that elasticity, right? That was the second point about hitting the ball in the laces that matters, right? Because as JP was saying, you hit the ball in the laces. What, what you're getting is a little extra compression, right? The laces are up by a fraction of an inch. And if you mm-hmm. hit that lace just right, get a little extra compression, you have a little bit longer to transfer more energy from the bat to the ball. And therefore, you can get a better launch of the ball. That's so. so it, it's basically a spring load, is what you're saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. gotcha. And so, if you have an aluminum bat that's got a little bit of give to it, a little bit of hollowness in it, you're just going to 
contact, have a longer period of time to transfer energy, and therefore you get a little bit extra rebound off of that. I don't know if, JP, that, that makes sense to you in terms of, I don't know if you ever can feel this, right? The contact with the ball is just a fraction of a second. But you ever feel like when you hit a ball really, really well, it seems to hang on the bat just that little tiny bit longer than when you just get a piece of it? Honestly, it's almost the the, the opposite. When you hit a when you hit a ball super square with a wood bat, you don't feel it. Which is I don't wow. I don't know how to I don't yeah, know yeah. how to. Uh, yeah, I know I well, sweet you know what? Spot. I thought yeah. that's why they called it the sweet spot. Is mm. because there's no reverberation in your hands yeah. through the bat. Yeah, when I hit a ball good, I I knew as soon as I hit it, I was like, that was sexy. That was it. I'm Gary O'Reilly. I'm Chuck Nice. This has been Playing With Science. We'll see you all soon.